Your Bibles, please. First Timothy chapter three. First Timothy chapter three. The title of this morning's message is the importance of prioritizing church. The importance of prioritizing church. We'll go to First Timothy in our Bibles and, and uh, in our preaching, and, and that's where we're at. We're at the last three verses of chapter three. And, uh, this morning, I'd like to speak about uh, the, again the importance of church. This message is not why we should go to church. That would be pointless because you're here this morning, and in fact, your attendance convinces me that you believe it's important to be in church. But I want to take it one step further and ask the question, not why should I go to church, but rather, why should I be involved in church? Or why should I prioritize church? Or why should I, should I set my schedule around church? Or why should my Christian life revolve around what's going on in church? The simple answer is from the scriptures. We can read it in Acts chapter 2. Let's all turn there. I think we should actually turn there. Acts chapter 2. I want you to see it for yourself. Acts chapter 2 in your Bible. So we're going to keep marker there in 1 Timothy because that's our text. But Acts chapter 2, we're going to remind ourselves what New Testament Christianity is all about. Acts chapter 2, it says verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word, Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. Then they that gladly received his word, verse 41, Acts 2. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now look at what happened after they got saved and were baptized. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. Verse 46, and they continuing, what's the word say? Daily. Can we say that again? And they continuing? Daily. Say it one more time. And they continuing? Daily. daily was one accord in the temple and breaking the bed from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I think it's very clear in the scriptures, their life revolved around what was going on in church. Would you agree with that this morning? It's very, very simple. Very, very simple. That's, that's not the right word. Very clear, I meant to say. It's very clear to be able to see that. So from a brief overview of the New Testament, it's very obvious that their daily lives of Christians revolved around church life. Now, fast forward 2,000 years. It seems like we're swinging in the opposite direction. Some will even go as far as to say, well, once I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter whether I'm in church or not. I would like to dispel that myth this morning. It's a myth, it's not scriptural. As we continue in 1 Timothy chapter 3, let us consider the importance of prioritizing church. We're back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're just going to go to verse 14. These things write I unto you, hoping to come unto, unto see, to hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how to, thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege I have to speak to this dear congregation, this dear group of people. I thank you that they're here. And Lord, their, their attendance is a vote for church. I thank you for that. I thank you that they've given up their Sunday morning to be in the house of God because they think it's important enough. But I pray, Lord, for these precious folk. Lord, that they would realize from Scripture that it's not just attending church that's important. It's getting involved. It's prioritizing. It's making it part of their everyday life. Lord, I pray you bring us as a New Testament church to New Testament principles whereby we make uh, our, we, our whole lives revolve around what's going on in your church. It's very foreign to our thinking. It really is, Lord, but it shouldn't be. Lord, you haven't moved. Your word hasn't moved. We have moved. But Lord, I love your word. Your precious word will bring us back into line. May we be your precious sheep that hear your voice. May we come back, may we come back into line with biblical thinking. And would you help me this morning to convince your people from the word of God what that why we should prioritize your house and why we should our life should revolve around it. And I pray God you'd bless your people. Pray they'd leave here rejoicing in this truth. It is not a burden, it must be a point of rejoicing because of the benefits that come from your presence in your house, in Jesus' precious name, amen. First thing I want to share with you, number one, we should prioritize church because number one is the house of God. Look at verse 15 again. But I, if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Welcome to the house of God. Amen. You're in the house of God this morning. And there are things that go on in the house of God that, that we cannot do in our own house. The first thing I want to share with you, number one, the house of God is a house of prayer. Ezra chapter 10 verse 1, and when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children for the people wept very sore. Oh, for those days again. I would call that a revival. I would call it a prayer meeting that precipitated a revival. I would call it a work of the Spirit of God. We need days like that again. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. And we need to be part of that. We need to anticipate that and desire that. Mark eleven seventeen, and Jesus taught, uh, saying unto them, It is written, or should I say, is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house. Of prayer. Brethren, this is not just a house that's, that houses the saints so we can gather together and worship. This actually is a house of prayer. On Tuesday mornings, 7 a.m., we gather together in the house of prayer. On a Wednesday evening, after our Bible study, we gather together in the house of prayer. I remember um, several years ago, some of you may remember, a visiting pastor came through. I don't know who he was. He just visited our church. I only met him once. Nice gentleman. He was a blessing to us. And uh, he said, he was shocked that our Wednesday night service was divided in half. Half for Bible study, 
have for prayer. They said, we don't do that in America like that. And you know what? Is that the house, the house of prayer? Is not this a house of prayer? Should we not give a considerable amount of time midweek and some other times during the week to gather together in the house of prayer? It was well established, brethren, in the Old Testament that God's people were, when, when they got serious about prayer, they went to the house of God to pray. The Talmud. I'm not going to try and say where it is because I can't even pronounce it properly. But in the Talmud, it instructs Jews outside the land of Israel to face the Holy Land while praying. Jews residing in Israel should turn towards the city of Jerusalem. Those living within Jerusalem should position their bodies towards the Holy Temple Mount. Why? Because it's understood that the house of God is the house of prayer. And though there, not be, though there may not be a temple sitting on the house of God, the Bible says that house will be rebuilt. The house of prayer in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. The sacrifices will begin again. And then the Antichrist is going to stop the whole thing. We won't be here. We'll be in glory. Looking forward to that. We'll be probably watching on. But it's still the house of prayer, isn't it? I want to ask you this morning, have you got burdens on your heart? Don't carry them on your own. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what needless pain we bear, the Bible says, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Dear brethren, don't carry those weights, don't carry those burdens, don't go around with your, 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 your face to the ground because you're so weighed down. Bring it before a Savior who loves you. But then take it one step further. Gather together with the saints of God in the house of God and give yourselves to prayer. Because we can almost share those burdens together. Because when we share those burdens, one person has said, a burden shared is a burden halved. And we can carry those burdens together and carry those burdens together to the throne of grace. We're bringing prayer to another level. The house of God is a house of prayer, but the house of God is also a house of worship. Worship is central to the Old Testament. It's mentioned everywhere in just about every book. We see in Genesis 28, verse 17 and 18, when Jacob ran away from his home after tricking Esau out of his blessing, and he was afraid, the Bible says, and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And Joseph rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put out for his pillow and set it up for an altar and poured oil upon the top of it. What was he doing? Jacob was worshipping. He built an altar and he worshipped. We can worship at home. But Matthew chapter 10 to 18 verse 20 says, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, they're mine in it. Isn't that right? When we gather together, worship happens to your brethren on another level. You can sing a horn at home. There's no way you're going to sing the way they were singing going on this morning. That was powerful, wasn't it? I don't know what you heard, but we heard it up here. It was powerful. Worship. There's nothing like experiencing the presence of God when we're corporately worshiping, is there? You could just sit back and just take it all in. 
Some people who aren't even believers will come into a house of God and sit back and just soak up the experience of believers worshipping. I recommend they get saved and be part of the worship. The house of God is the place of prayer. The house of God is the place of worship. But the house of God is also a place of sacrifice. Worship and sacrifice go hand in hand. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. It, sacrifice was central to Old Testament worship. There were five types of sacrificial offerings that went on in the Old Testament. There was the sin offering, the burnt offering, the trespass offering, the votive offering, and the peace offering. All these offerings went on in the Old Testament. Judges chapter 20 verse 26. Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came unto the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until even and offered burnt offerings and sin offerings. That's what you do in the house of God. You offer your offering. Why? Because it's worship. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. Bringing all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. I'm blessed by the men when they pray for the offering. Oftentimes they'll pray for souls to be saved through the offerings. And sometimes they'll just pray that we can be able to pay the bills. Praise God. All together. We give together. God takes the whole lot together and makes it work. Pays our bills, doesn't he? Keeps the lights on. Keeps the, the heat on. Although we don't need the heat today, right? I think all you're singing is warming up this place or something. I don't know. But brethren, if we don't sacrifice, our worship is limited. We can sing our, lift our voices and praise God and thank Him for His provision. But if we don't sacrifice back to Him, where's the worship? Is it not limited? One way we really begin to sacrifice is through our giving. And we've read about that in Malachi chapter 3. And let's be honest, it is challenging to give 10% of your hard-earned cash to the Lord. That's hard. Sacrifice is meant to be hard. That's why it's called sacrifice. If you didn't, if it wasn't hard, there'd be no sacrifice. In that. Now some of us are, uh, have been doing it all our lives and then you, you don't really think about the sacrifice. But I suppose when, when you think about all the things you could do with the money if you didn't give it to the Lord, <laughs> then you go, well, actually, it really is a sacrifice, really, isn't it? But I wouldn't dare take it back. That's the Lord's money, amen. That's his money. I understand that many people will give online. I'm glad for people to give online. It saves the, it saves the church 60 cents on the 100 euro because the banks charge you for counting the money. We count it, then they charge us for counting it. I don't know what's that all about. But anyway, so, uh, but people give online. But what I want you to understand, when that offering plate goes around, even though you've given online, you've given your tithes online, that's, you're still part of that worship. You may not be sticking money in the, in the plate because you stuck money in the bank, but you can watch it go around and you can have a smile on your face and you can say, I am part of this worship. You with me here this morning? The house of God is a place of prayer, a place of worship. It's a place of sacrifice. But also the house of God is, is for something else, a place of counsel. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Judges 20, verse 18. And the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel 
of God. Blessed are those who ask counsel of God before they make big decisions. So many people make life-changing decisions and they've never really sought counsel from the Lord. That's not going to help them. And then you find yourself backtracking. But ought not the church be the place where you can find counsel? Ought not the church be the place where you can open up the scriptures and we can share the scriptures and you can find counsel for real life decisions? This book may be 2,000 years old, but I want to tell you something. It's as new as, as today, isn't it? I was talking to a man and he was, I um, can't remember what he was doing. He was doing something. Or, oh yeah, yeah, he was checking out our, we got solar panels in and he was checking out the solar panels for the SEAI grant. And, and uh, we got talking about the Lord, as you would, you give a tract at the end, and sometimes they say, yeah, thank you. And other times you get into a conversation. And uh, he said, um, do you believe in, in, in the firmament? I said, absolutely. He said, then you're a flat earther. Uh, no, I don't believe in flat earth. <laughs> I think the Bible indicates that the earth is a globe, right? It's he that sits upon the circle of the earth, not the square of the earth, not the flatness of the earth, according to Isaiah. No, I think the Bible indicates that the, the earth is not flat. And he, he, got, he got into a little bit of conspiracy theory. I don't think he really believed it. He was just wondering what we believe. And he thought maybe what we believe is weird because maybe some people he came across who believed in the Bible believe some weird stuff, okay? And uh, I want to tell you something. I, I told him this. The Bible is real. And you can apply it to your life right now. And when you're looking at what's going on in Israel today, you can say, God is on the throne and scripture is being fulfilled. Because the Bible says that during the tribulation period, every time now, by the way, Jesus is coming back. I hope you're praying for Jesus to come back. How does the revelation end? Have you read your book of Revelation? Read it. Read the last of it. Even so, come Lord Jesus, right? That is the cry of every Christian. And, 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 and it's almost like every day these days. I'm saying, Lord, please take us out of here. I want to go home. I want to be with you. But you know what? The Bible talks about after the rapture, when every born again Christian is just miraculously taken out of this world, there's going to be this great big tribulation period. And the, the Antichrist is going to rise up. And you know the Bible talks about the Antichrist making a peace treaty with Israel. World peace with Israel. And he's going to sign this agreement with Israel. And they're going to be able to make their sacrifices in the temple. And I said to the man I was talking with, and I said, you know what? There is no temple in Jerusalem. But the Bible says they're going to make sacrifices in the temple. Therefore, that temple will be rebuilt. Mark my words. It will be rebuilt. And I told them that of all the nations of the world, when, it, when, when a language goes dead, it never revives again. Hebrew was revived out of its deadness. Of all the nations who were taken out of their country and scattered abroad, what a miracle that Israel remained vacant with some Bedouins and a few Jordanians maybe moving around. Nobody owned Israel. England owned Israel. America was involved, all this type of stuff. Then with the white papers, they gave Israel their land again. That's never happened in history before. It'll never happen again. Why did Israel get their land again? To fulfill prophecy. Where did you find the prophecy? In this book. This book. But this book is not just a book of prophecy. This book is a book that helps you in your life. And on the top of my page, I have notes. It says, Instructions for Godly Living. This is God's instruction book. Aren't you glad you have an instruction book? I was trying to put a new toilet seat 
or toilet upstairs because my kids are having a break in them and uh, just keep the dad busy, you know. So I was putting the toilet seat back on and I did the dad thing. I didn't read the instructions and I stuck the, the pieces together because I've done lots of toilet seats. Well, not this one. And I put the pieces together and I said, oh, that's the wrong way around. And do you think I can get out again? Read the instruction book. Read the instruction book. Anyway, it's just going to have to do, kids, right? I'm going to move on. <laughs> Blessed are they who seek counsel before they make big decisions rather than afterwards. Ought not your church be the place where you get all the counsel you need to handle life's challenges and live a spirit-filled life? Oh, I hear so many people in so many different quarters talk about the Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit when it comes to living the Christian life? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, consumed with the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit. If we're not that way, we're not, we're not living the New Testament Christian life. I just want to tell you that. The house of God is a place of prayer, worship, sacrifice, counsel. The house of God is also, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad about this one, it's a place of joy and praise. David said in Psalm 42, I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise for the multitude that kept holy day. There is nothing like singing and praising in Gospel Baptist Church. Let me tell you something. I don't recommend you visit other churches. But if you're away, okay, let's put it this way. You're out of your country or you're down the country somewhere and you just can't make the, evening, the Sunday service. Visit a church and not to be critical. I'm just, just I'm not being critical. But listen to the singing. It's not like Gospel Baptist Church. There's nowhere in the world that sings like Gospel Baptist Church. Can I hear any man for that? I'm just telling you, it's just the way it is. And it's a place of joy and praise. There's nothing like giving together. As we, the offering goes round, it's praiseworthy to the Lord. There's nothing like the common goals we have of propagating the gospel, of discipling the saints, of bringing as much glory and honor and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ as we can. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like worshipping together as the scriptures are opened. Many have prayed over the sermon and the Holy Spirit moves from seat to seat as he works in people's lives. There's nothing like it. And after the Holy Ghost has done the cleansing work, there's nothing like the fellowship we have afterwards. John 1, 1 John 1, 3, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Brethren, you can't get that stuff at home. You get that stuff in church, in the house of God. Am I making a case this morning for prioritizing church above any other human organization? Because I'd like to be able to do that. That's my desire this morning. We should prioritize church because it's the house of God. But secondly, we should prioritize church because it upholds the truth. Look at verse 15. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The Bible calls the church the pillar and the ground of the truth. The purpose of the pillar is to support the truth. Columns played a crucial role in supporting the heavy stone structures of ancient Egypt. The use of columns allowed architects to distribute the weight of massive blocks evenly 
and bear the load of massive lintels and roofs, all because of the columns. Those temple pillars were so well made that even today, oftentimes you go to different countries, and maybe in Israel, or maybe in Greece, or maybe in parts of Turkey, or even actually in Hungary, you'll even see the same, where you see these columns, and the columns are still there. So well made. Roman pillars were decorated to commemorate and celebrate military victories. If you like, they were bastions of victorious truth. Brethren, that's what the church is. Pillars of truth. The role of the church is to support and preserve the truth. The church is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. As salt, it should preserve the truth of apostolic doctrine. As light, we should so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. The household of God needs pillars to support the truth of Scripture. No pillars, no support. Peter, James, and John were pillars of apostolic doctrine, we're told in Galatians. The apostles laid down the doctrine. Now it's up to us to uphold it. Brethren, it's up to us to be pillars of truth. It's up to us to uphold that structure, to uphold the roof, to uphold the lintels. It's up to us. It's up to us to hold together, binding together its different parts. As one commentator said it, and, and as Matthew Henry said, when a church ceases to be the pillar and ground of the truth, it is time to forsake her. The, the purpose of pillar is to support, but secondly, the purpose of the ground is to embed the truth. The word ground comes from the root word meaning immovable, steadfast. Sounds familiar, isn't that 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the word, of the Lord, shall I say. God wants us to be immovable, not swing to the left or to the right. I'm doing this for your sake, because I know this is my right, not your left, but your left, right? Okay? So I don't confuse everyone. But a pillar stands fast. It doesn't move. It doesn't swing. By the church, the truth is made fast, firm, fixed. Pillars must be fixed in place. Movable pillars are not fun. I was looking at the Micah houses in Donegal, was it? If I have it the right county. When they, were, when they had the, the, the wrong minerals mixed up in the cement. And you look at those houses, it's so sad to see. Brand new houses decaying, and there's absolutely nothing you can do. The houses are right off. Billions of euros worth of damage. Remember, we remember seeing it in the news. It's got to be firm. It's got to be upright. It's got to be able to support the weight of the roof. It can't be movable. So when the church embeds the truth as it should, believers are not tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in, lie in wait to deceive. There are people out there who are looking to dislodge your faith. They will, there's nothing that will give them more, more pleasure than seeing you fall away from the faith. There are people like that out there. They despise your faith. They despise your Lord. They, des they despise what you have in Christ. They don't want you to have it. They'd be glad to see you fall. And the truth helps you not to be swayed by them. Then there are people who don't take pleasure in your fall, 
but they are themselves not solid. They are not pillars themselves, and they sway and they move, and their influence is going to hurt you. Be very, very careful who you allow to influence you. The Bible tells us that the church embeds the truth, and I encourage you to get embedded in the truth of the Word of God and don't move. The church has to ensure that its foundation is secure. There's a portion of Florida called Sinkhole Alley. Alley. Who's heard of Sinkhole Alley? Maybe a few of you. In Sinkhole Alley, it's an area of Florida where the soil is sandy, and that sandy soil is then sitting upon a layer of clay, and underneath that layer of clay is then limestone. And if you have enough water or enough drought, what it does is it, 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 it messes up the drainage system, it messes up, it dissolves the underground layers, and then sinkholes appear. And some of those sinkholes are 150 feet wide. Houses are being swallowed up. Why? Their foundation is not sure. Our Lord gave us two pa a parable of, of, of two people, so to speak. One man built his house upon the sand, and the other built his house upon the rock. Brethren, it's so important that our foundation is right. It's so important that our foundation is solid. For us to have a solid foundation, it requires preachers and teachers shoring up that foundation of truth. Are you with me here this morning? That's why it's so important we get this right. Brethren, our Sunday school teachers in Gospel Baptist Church are shoring up that foundation for your children. Our children church workers upstairs right now are shoring up your children with their foundation to get the foundation right, to get that foundation solid. And parents who prioritize their children being in Sunday school, chair parents who prioritize their children being in children's church are shoring up their foundation so that the truth so that the church can be built upon the solid rock. Are you with me here this morning? We all have a place, a, a, a part to play. That you, it's no good having teachers if the teachers don't have students. And it's no good having students if the teachers don't teach the truth. You need both. You understand? Every one of us play a very active and real part in making sure that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And if the preacher and the teachers don't do their part and the people don't do their part, it won't work. We've all got to work together. But that all happens when we prioritize. Not just turn up for church. Prioritize church. We should prioritize church because it's the house of God, because it upholds the truth. But finally, we should prioritize church because it is a center, it is central to our faith. Look at verse 16, brethren. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Brethren, the Bible says great is a mystery of godliness. Our faith is filled with glorious mysteries. The triune nature of God is a mystery. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You try to understand it, you'll lose your mind. You can't understand it with the Trinity. But you, you try to deny it, you lose your soul. The triune nature of God is a mystery. 
The unity of Christ in Gospel Baptist Church is a mystery according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. You know, that God can bring people from all over the world, different socioeconomic groups, different ethnic groups, away with that word racist, racism. There's no such thing as race. There's only one race, it's called the human race. But with there's different ethnic groups here. God takes people from different ethnic groups. Sometimes they're from the same country, but they're a different ethnic group. And God brings them together. And that's miraculous. Are you with me here? There's English people and Irish people in here. <laughs> English and Irish. That's probably a bigger beer from anything else. Can you hear an amen for that one? <laughs> There's male and female in here. Wow. We won't go beyond that. Don't, don't listen to what uh, Prince says when it says the, the, women, the men don't have to turn up on Mother's Day. <laughs> Funny guy. But the point is this. People from all over the world in one place. That's a mystery. And we all get together. It's a shock. The second coming of Christ is a mystery. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Or you can't have to be with Jesus. That's a mystery. According to Colossians 1.27, I have another mystery for you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. Christ dwells in you. That's a mystery. The godliness of a believer is also a mystery. Look at verse 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That's the godliness of a believer. The godliness is inner piety according to Acts 13 verse 12. Inner piety. By the way, godliness begins in here. It doesn't begin on the outside. Because what's on the outside is what people think you are. What's on the inside is who you really are. You with me here? And inner piety, that's, that, that's a mystery. It's something we need to be strengthened in, according to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. We need our godliness strengthened, right? Godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6, 6. It's to be pursued, 1 Timothy 6, 11. It's where truth leads. Truth will lead you into godliness. You say, how do I know I'm walking in the truth? Are you, are you becoming more godly? Is there inner piety being developed in you? Titus chapter 1 verse 1. And it leads into, this is how you know someone is really uh, suffering from the malady of godliness, using a bit of humor there. It leads us into brotherly kindness and unconditional love. That's how you know someone is really godly. By this shall men know that you are my disciples, by the love you have one for another. That's godliness, isn't it? Loving people with all your heart, soul, mind, mind and strength. Loving your neighbors yourself, should I say. Loving God with our hearts all minds, right? Loving your neighbors yourself. That's, that's godliness. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 6 tells us that. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, whereby a believer is changed from glory to glory, is a mystery. I love to meet people whose lives have been changed. Don't you? It's amazing when you see someone, and the last time you saw them, they were an awful gouger. You know, to use an Irish phrase. And all of a sudden, you see them a few years later, several years later, and they're gloriously saved and gloriously changed. And you say, what happened to you? And all they can see with a tear in their eye is Jesus. That's mysterious, isn't it? That's, that's a work of God. 
of the Word of God. And this mystery of godliness is either helped or hindered depending on our emphasis we place on church. If all we do is just check in and check out again, there's going to be no glory to glory going on. But if you are imbibing in the Word of God and imbibing in the house of God and setting your life and your structure of our life around the church, you are going to grow from glory to glory if the church is solidly based on the Word of God. Are you with me here? Our faith is filled with glorious mysteries, but finally our faith is rooted in the gospel. Look at verse 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Our faith declares that God became one of us, Jesus the Christ. Our faith declares that Jesus lived a sinful life. Aren't you glad that somebody has lived a sinful life in our place? Aren't you glad that that same person died on the cross for our sins, for our atonement? Because that's what our faith declares. That's what our faith believes. And he was proclaimed in all the world. And he was believed on in the world. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ has been proclaimed? Aren't you glad that you meet people who believe on Jesus? I want to tell you, it's encouraging when you knock on doors and you see people, no, I'm not interested. And people, no, no, no. And then you come across someone, yes, I believe. Isn't it encouraging to come across people who believe on Jesus? And I, I, when we were in Thursday, on Thursday at the Church in Swords, one of the ladies stood up again, or she spoke up and gave a testimony. She said, someone came to me and said, are you of the faith, or whatever way she worded it, and she pulled out a gospel leaflet, or whatever, they, whatever happened. But you know what she said? I didn't know what to say, because no one's ever witnessed to me before. She was saved. But nobody had ever approached her and asked her what she said. And she was so delighted to come across someone who believes on Jesus. Believed on in the world. After his suffering and death, Jesus was resurrected and taken out of this world. Brethren, he's not in the grave. He is risen and on the right hand of the Father. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I marvel that people say, I'm too busy. I don't have time to think about this. There's going to come a day when they will not be too busy. Brethren, God has a way of getting our attention. We all remember COVID. And everybody's attention was God, right? Life stopped. It's like, what did you do from um, March 2022 until, uh, until um, oh, was it 20, I don't remember, March 2020, was it? March 2020 until June 2022. I have no idea. It's all a blur. Life stopped. When you have a health crisis going on in your life, all of a sudden you've all the time in the world to pray. When you have a financial crisis going on in your life, all of a sudden you've all the time in the world to pray. When you see your foundation beginning to crumble, you have all the time in the world to pray to the one who created all things, the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what you need. And he is very, very patient and very, very gracious. Don't waste your own time. Don't waste your own time. He was believed on in the world 
and he's received up into glory. He is on the right hand of the Father. He is the judge of the whole earth. And you know what? During the tribulation period, the Bible says that for a period of time during this tribulation period, God is going to peel back the clouds and people are going to see God on his throne. The earth is going to shake. We are so blinded to the fact that God is on the throne. But if you're imbibing in the things of God and you're plugged into your church, you're not. It's constantly in your mind, isn't it? We are reminded of Christ's work through preaching. We are reminded of his work through ordinances. We are reminded of his work through soul winning activities. We are reminded of his work when we're trying to disciple others. What a privilege it is that we get to help other people along with their faith. And we're reminded of his work through that. Brethren, that all happens in the church. It all happens in the church. We say we believe the gospel, but I want to tell you something this morning. It's the church that promotes everything you believe. And so often we spend our time involved in things that conflict with the church. And the things that conflict with the church oftentimes are things that are, do not support what we believe. Does that make sense? I think it's a bit of inconsistency. And so I want to remind you. If you're a Christian, be consistent. If you're one of the Lords, shore up your foundation and get involved in that. Don't just turn up. Praise God you're here. Don't stop coming. But go beyond that. Get involved in that, which is going to shore up your faith. If you have the faith, then get it shored up. Get it built up. Dear brethren, if we do not prioritize the church, we undermine our own faith. Everything we say, we believe, we undermine if we don't prioritize the house of God. The biblical practice of New Testament Christianity, as recorded in the book of Acts, makes church central to the Christian life. I understand that we have swung to the other side in our society. Society is wrong. It's wrong. The Lord Jesus Christ did not die on the cross so we could go solo. He died for the church. Christ died so that he, he could, we could be united together with him and commit to a church and to where his word is preached and his name is exalted. You say, where in the Bible did Christ die for the church? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5.26. Okay, that's just a reminder. That's why where it says that. So why should we, brethren, why should we prioritize the church? Number one, remind ourselves, we should prioritize the church because it's the house of God. It's the place of prayer. It's the place of worship. The place of sacrifice. The place of counsel. The place of joy and praise. Brethren, prioritize the church. Why else should we prioritize the church? Because it's sent, it, because it upholds the truth. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. It's what we say we believe. Prioritize. Be consistent. Don't allow your faith be undermined, your foundation be undermined. And finally, we should prioritize the church because it is central to the Christian life. That's what the Bible declares. But my question is, is that how you practice? 
Do you practice? Do you live life like church is central to you? Dear friend, I know you go to church. Again, I'm really happy you do. But I want to ask the question, is church really, really important to you? Is it really important to, for you to regularly meet with other believers? Is it really important for you to be around other people who feel the exact way you do? Do you have New Testament faith that lines up with the scriptures? And, uh, okay, thank you, yeah. Do you have New Testament faith that lines up with the scriptures? If the answer is yes, then let me urge you to center your life around the church. That's what we clearly see in the Bible. I hope I've been able to clearly explain that to you. This morning, I want you to consider the importance of prioritizing church. Let's go to the Lord and pray.